come to our attention that a mysterious force is loose somewhere in outer space. Welcome to Talk Tank. Hello, you have reached the Talk Tank, the official LSC Entrepreneurs podcast, where we delve into the minds of those who think, live, and breathe outside the box. I am Mathilde, and I will be your host for today. Entrepreneurship and leadership is a creation of value through innovative ideas and collaboration. But in this series, we look beyond the profits. We interview social change makers who are leading us to a brighter tomorrow. Today, I am with the one and only Tessa Clark, the founder of Olio, a company working to stop food wastage within your households. We delve into her journey as the head of a 2 million users app, but also as a woman entrepreneur looking to change the world one meal at a time. First of all, thank you so much um, for accepting and responding to my email and for accepting this podcast. Um, so you are the co-founder of Olio, a food sharing company. Can you tell us a bit about Olio and how did the idea come about? So Olio is an app that connects people with their neighbors so they can give away rather than throw away their spare food or other household items. And the idea came about just over five years ago now. I was living in Switzerland for work with my family and moving back to the UK. And on moving day, the removal men told me I needed to throw away all of our uneaten food. I'm a farmer's daughter So I absolutely hate food waste and wasn't prepared to toss this food away. So much the irritation of the packing men, I set out onto the streets to try and find someone to give my food to. I failed. I went back to my apartment. I wasn't to be defeated. I smuggled the non-perishable food into the bottom of my packing boxes. And at that point in time, I thought, this is crazy. I'm going to all these lengths to avoid food waste. Wouldn't it be easier if I could just advertise this food to my neighbors on an app and they could request it and pop around and pick it up? I think that's great. But how did you, how did you come about the process of an app? And also, how could you make it easy for users to share, because we also think as sharing uh, as complicated, most of all for uh, perishable goods. So how did you uh, facilitate the sharing and the process? And how does the redistribution work so well? So there's lots of questions in there. I'll, I'll sort of unpack them a little bit. I think the first thing really is around uh, how did we get sort of Olio up and running and why did we choose an app? We chose an app because essentially we needed the tools that were available in the phone in terms of geolocation, ability to easily take photographs, instant messaging, etc., to make this idea work. But Sasha and I, my co-founder, did not want to immediately sink all of our life savings building an app before we knew that it might have a chance of being successful. We went through a pretty rigorous process, which started off with us doing some market research via a survey, which we distributed through friends and family and also Facebook groups. And essentially, what we wanted to discover in that survey was whether people actually cared about the problem of food waste or not. And the great news was that we found that one in three people said that they were physically pained throwing away good food. And so that immediately demonstrated to us that this was a mainstream problem that we were tackling because we had done the desk research. The desk research had already proven that this was an enormous problem 
uh, in on paper, i.e. globally, a third of all the food we produce each year gets thrown away. 800 million people go to bed hungry who could be fed in a quarter of the food we waste in the Western world. And food waste is environmentally devastating. If it were to be a country, it would be the third largest source of food, of greenhouse gas emissions after the USA and China. So it's kind of already proven it was a big problem on paper. This survey then demonstrated it was a problem that people cared about and it was a mainstream problem. The next step, though, we went through was to figure out how can we test our hypothesis that people will share their surplus food rather than throw it away away before sinking our, our life savings building an app and so how we did that was we invited 12 people who said they were physically pain throwing away good food from that survey we put them on a whatsapp group they all lived near each other they didn't know each other they didn't know us and we ran an experiment for two weeks and we said here's a group of 12 people and if you've got some spare food they're likely to want to pop around and pick it up and as a result of that two-week proof of concept using whatsapp that gave us the data and the information and the conviction to go ahead and actually build the first version of the app yes because not only does olio help to reduce food wastage but also creates links between communities and neighborhoods but also it creates um, greater link with the less represented groups within our communities. So how did Olio um, came about being so social on this side of the business? Well, if we're being very honest, Sasha and I at the launch of Olio didn't fully anticipate just how social and just how community oriented it would be. We were approaching the problem of food waste from a really, um, I guess, sort of efficiency based perspective. And we had this concept of this marketplace that would eradicate the inefficiencies of food waste. But what we very, very quickly found what when we spoke to our earliest users was that what they loved most about Olio was the fact that we were connecting them with their neighbors in real life. And as a result of that, they were having just really enjoyable doorstep connections, which in many instances were leading to meaningful relationships. And so that sort of community aspect is actually fully embedded in the product experience. So lots of people look at Olio and they assume it's an app. Actually, it's a community of neighbors who are connected and, and the app is just sort of the means to the end rather than the end in and of itself. The second aspect of community, which is really integral to Olio, is our multiple volunteering programs. So that first group of 12 people who went on the WhatsApp, when we met with them afterwards, one of the key piece of information they gave us was the fact that they really wanted to help. And they said, how can we help you? How, how can we get Olio going? And that led us to create our ambassador program. So we've now had over 50,000 people reach out to join the ambassador program. And the ambassador program is all about empowering people to spread the word about Olio in their local community. And so we give them uh, either digital assets and or physical collateral. So posters, letters, flyers, so people can spread the word about Olio in their local community. And that's another way in which community uh, has been really important for us. And it's been another really important lever of growth. And also then you started the Cook for Careers uh, carers during COVID, right? So how does that work? Because I think it's a great initiative. So yes, you're absolutely correct. The community really came to the fore again in the early days of COVID. So 
the uh, Prime Minister announced that schools would be closing. And the day after that happened, I was explaining to my young kids the fact that the next day was going to be their last day at school. And through that conversation, they actually asked me, what about the kids that have uh, free school meals, you know, who are dependent upon that? Because this is a conversation we've, we've had before at home. And I realized at that point, I did not have a good answer to that question. But I quickly thought, hang on a minute, though, we do have a platform here of over a million people in the UK who care about community, who understand the power and importance of food. So why don't we see if we can galvanize our community and get them cooking meals and preparing meals for those kids? Because there are 1.3 million children in the UK who really are dependent upon those free school meals. So we moved very, very quickly from the idea within sort of 26 hours, we'd got that campaign pulled together and out in the market. And we got over 20 celebrity chefs to support and endorse it and to provide each to provide a recipe that our community could sort of follow along and cook with and uh, a number of those chefs were also cooking themselves and giving away free school meals via the app too and that worked um, that was really really well received by um, the recipients of the food but also by the people who were cooking they found it incredibly fulfilling and so two weeks later we cloned that campaign and ran a cook for carers campaign and between the two campaigns we've had over well over 20,000 meals uh, given away to people in the local community who really needed it. I think that's great because uh, more and more uh, we are in a sharing economy, but we're in a sharing economy uh, while still being bombarded with Deliveroo and Uber Eats ads. Um, so I think, how did you integrate maybe uh, the sharing mindsets uh, within your community? Um, and also, how did you come about moving past um, this uh, consummation um, of instant consummation? So it's a great question. Uh, many people, when they first hear of Olio, think, gosh, that sounds strange or weird, the idea of sharing food. But actually, if you look into it and think about it, what's weird and strange is the fact that we throw away food at the scale that we do. And that is something that's a really, really modern day phenomenon. So uh, for roughly 2 million years, we have uh, been evolving to share food and actually sharing food has been an integral part of the success of our species. And as a result of that, it's kind of hardwired actually into our DNA to dislike throwing away food, which after all is our life source. We literally depend upon it to stay alive. And we have equally evolved to feel really great giving away food to someone in our community. And so what Olio is really doing is tapping into that very instinctive set of feelings that we have, that dislike of food waste, that lovely feeling you get when you share some food. And actually, we ran a survey recently and well over 80% of our users said that it feels really good to share. So there is that sort of great feeling um, that you get when you give something away to someone who wants it or sadly in this day and age maybe even needs it so what we didn't have to sort of engineer or manufacture that all we had to do was to create the right environment in which that could take place now arguably food sharing 
could have taken place without Olio and prior to Olio on Facebook, for example, or on Nextdoor. But the reality is that wasn't really happening because it just didn't feel like it was an appropriate place. The sort of norms weren't set up there. The product hadn't been designed specifically for food sharing. And we spent the past couple of years really engineering the product so that it is absolutely optimized to connect two neighbors to quickly and safely share food. I think that's great, but I think a lot of uh, maybe social businesses um, like are faced with a problem of um, being viable and generating revenues while still making something per, um, with purpose. So how do you um, work through that? So we were very clear from day one that Olio was not going to be a charity. We wanted to have impact at scale. And from everything that we could see, operating as a business with a profit with purpose mentality would be the most effective way for us to rapidly scale impact. So from day one, it's been very clear to us that we need to have a sustainable business model. However, we did not start monetizing for the first couple of years of Olio because what we were doing was a world first. And so there were so many things that we had to experiment and learn to get the model right. We started generating revenues a couple of years in and we did that through our food waste heroes program and this is a program we now have about 10,000 trained volunteers and we recruit these people train them and then dynamically match them with their local store so that could be a supermarket a bakery a, a corporate canteen uh, etc and those volunteers provide a service to that business and so on their allotted day and time they'll pop out of their house across the road they pick up all of the unsold food they take it home they add it to the app within minutes their neighbors are requesting it minutes later their neighbors are popping around and picking up that food and that food goes from having been potentially a waste stream in the store one to two hours later to instead being fully redistributed into the homes of the local community. And so we started monetizing through charging businesses for that service because historically they have been paying a waste contractor to take that food off to landfill or at best anaerobic digestion. And instead they now pay us to ensure that food is redistributed, which is what their customers want, which is what their employees want um, and what they know that they need to do to be operating a sustainable business. And that, I guess, was our first foray into monetization. And then next year, we will be really actively experimenting with the freemium models. We've already started doing some research in that. So that's basically the concept where a subset of your users will subscribe to a premium version of the app. And that's what will be coming next year. And in some of premium version of the app, what does that entail? The honest answer is we have lots of strong hypotheses as to what features will be included, but I can't tell you what they're going to be right now because we'll be going through a multi-month process of testing proposition, messaging, features, pricing, and optimizing, and then consolidating around the winning combination. What was your original vision of Olio when you started? And also, maybe the next question could be um, how complicated is it to put across a project because you always want it to be a, a perfect project? Well, our original vision for Olio really was to solve the problem of food waste in the home at scale globally because we knew that 
you know, if it were to be a country, food waste would be the third largest source of greenhouse gas emissions after the USA and China. And indeed, there's something called Project Drawdown, which has recently stack ranked the top 100 solutions to the climate crisis. And to ensure we live in a two degree warmed world, in position number one is reducing food waste. And that comes above electric cars, above solar power and above a plant based diet. So it was very, very clear to us that we do not have long to solve the climate crisis. And if we're going to solve it, we've got to solve the food waste problem. Half of all food waste takes place in the home in a country like the UK. So we had to scale Olio. So from day one, uh, we had enormous ambitions. And uh, we've recently set ourselves a target of we want a billion oleoers within the next 10 years. So by 2030, which kind of that timing coincides with the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals. And um, We've been sort of very clear on the end goal, but the path that we pick in order to get there is something that we're constantly testing, iterating, learning, and adjusting as we get more data or more information or as the world around us changes. Yes, and I think also there's maybe the question of challenges that come through an entrepreneur's road, uh, both as a woman, but also as um, a woman in a tech world that is also dominated by uh, fundraising, there's also predominantly uh, men, maybe. <laughs> yes. Um, so you're absolutely correct that as a female-founded business, we have all the regular challenges of being a startup entrepreneur. You know, every day is a bit of a roller coaster of, of highs and, and lows. And layered on top of that, we have the challenge of being female founders, which only uh, affects us negatively when it comes to this, the fundraising space. And so, you know, the data sort of speaks for itself. So uh, in the UK, less than 1% of all venture capital investment has gone or goes to female founded businesses. 89% goes to male founded businesses and the delta goes to mixed teams. So the odds certainly are heavily stacked against you as a female founding team but if you um, have oodles of resilience and conviction and can learn from others who've gone before you then it, it's absolutely possible to unlock fundraising and we've actually through a lot of blood sweat and tears we have managed to successfully raise four times for Olio and we've, we've raised uh, over 11 million pounds so it is it is possible but actually it has been the most challenging aspect of building Olio. And were your fundraisers comprehensive during the COVID period? Did you have any trouble with that uh, in terms of um, your vision during COVID? Was it compromised? No, actually quite, quite the opposite. So thankfully, we did a round of funding which closed in January. So every single day we've been uh, sort of thanking the Lord that we that we did that. Um, but COVID has uh, actually, I mean, it sounds terrible to say this, but it's actually been a massive accelerant for Olio because, you know, for several reasons. So the first one is that you only need to see a couple of photographs of empty supermarket shelves to be suddenly hit with the reality that food is your life source. And prior to COVID, I think we were all very um, thoughtless and lapsadaisical with regards to how we approach food. And we were obviously incredibly wasteful. And we've just had an enormous mindset shift through COVID that would have taken years and years and years of sort of 
campaigning and education and marketing. And that happened almost overnight. Um, so post-COVID, over half of people surveyed by an organization called Hubbub say that they are now valuing food more and also about half are wasting food less. So that's been uh, a really big accelerant for us. The other thing that has happened is that people have really uh, recognized and valued their local community in COVID. And Olio is Heart is all about local community. It's all about helping others. We've also had laid bare before us the horrific inequalities, unconscionable inequalities that exist in our society. So we have over 8 million people in the UK living in food poverty. And I think we had a bit of a collective awakening to just how much hunger we have in the UK uh, during COVID. And as a result, I think that prompted lots of people to want to share, to want to make a difference, to want to help people in their local community. Um, and then I think the third thing is the fact that we were stuck at home during lockdown and we were told that we were sort of helping out by staying at home but a lot of people just felt like that wasn't enough and they wanted to do more and that was why they embraced things like uh, cook for kids and cook for carers they were having a bit of a sort of Marie Kondo moment and decluttering all their 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 uh, drawers in particular non-food sharing growed grew massively um, but also food as well people did a bit of a, a big sort of clear out and decluttering so COVID in many ways has really accelerated trends that were underway before. And I think the other one that is less obvious at the beginning of COVID, it felt like perhaps the sustainability uh, issues and the climate crisis were going to be completely derailed and, and forgotten about. And they were for the first few months. But I think now we're starting to actively think about how can we build back better. And again, that has really helped. I think the sustainability cause as governments are making sure that in many ways that they are investing for a green recovery and a green growth. And I think as individuals, a lot of people are thinking, you know, what what more can I do? Yeah. And do you, do you think maybe that as even social businesses are on the rise in England, but also in the rest of the world, um, as well as at the same time, we have a growing ecological consciousness as students, maybe, but also the rest of the population. It's becoming more and more mainstream. Um, do you think we're moving in the right direction? And do you see maybe not an end to food waste stage, but maybe uh, a more circular economy uh, getting on the rise everywhere? So we're definitely moving in the right direction. You know, five years ago, when we first started Olio, virtually nobody was talking about food waste, whereas now it is a growingly, you know, it's a, it's a growing issue. It's increasingly recognized as being a problem, but it most definitely has not yet had its plastics moment. And actually for the environment, food waste is, is worse um, than plastics in across many, many metrics. So we are taking steps in the right direction, but to date they've been far too slow we really have only got 10 years left to take meaningful and decisive action. And you know, to make that real for you, the typical British household is still throwing away about 20% of their weekly shop, that's 730 pounds sterling per family per year. And that collectively adds up to 14 billion pounds of the perfectly edible food that's being thrown away. So we are a long, long, long way away from solving the problem of food waste. So taking a step back, um, maybe from food waste, in terms of increasing diversity within um, within the tech world, both as women, but also maybe allies of LGBTs and uh, less represented minorities. Um, how do you see that uh, progressing? 
um, even when you maybe talk to investors. Yeah, so again, this is a topic I feel incredibly passionately about. I think, uh, you know, if we think we've got it tough as, as female founders, then many of our other diverse founders have it even more difficult than we do. And it's really, really, really important that we all stand together. Again, I think 2020 has been a year in which this issue has rocketed up the agenda, finally, thankfully. But what I'm waiting for is to see some of the talk convert into real action. Um, and for me, real action looks like true diversity at the level of sort of gatekeepers of capital. So that you can kind of go onto the website of um, some of the most influential uh, and active VC firms and you can look on sort of the Our Team page and you see a truly diverse team at partner level. And we still are a long, long way away from that. And unfortunately, as as long as we continue to have a lack of diversity at that gatekeepers of capital uh, level, we are going to continue to woefully underinvest in the businesses that are prioritizing profit with purpose, in the businesses that are focused on solving the problems of the 99% and not the 1%. And so for me, if we want the world that we all want to live in, then actually there is no issue more important than solving diversity. Arguably, the climate crisis has come about because of a lack of diversity, a lack of diversity of thought, of perspective, uh, etc. So I think this sort of lack of diversity underpins many of the biggest problems that we're now facing today. Yes, because we see mainly in England too um, that a lot of yes, social entrepreneurs are more and more coming from incubators that are giving back to communities and stuff like that, uh, as well as uh, through maybe bursaries and universities that paying less represented communities to put up projects. Um, but there's so many barriers and one of them is maybe the imposter syndrome. Yes. So as a woman, yeah. how did you come about to combat it? Um, yeah, that that's definitely a massive issue. I um, regret that I left it so late, relatively speaking, in my life to become an entrepreneur. And the reason why I didn't was because it just didn't seem like it was a thing for someone like me. You know, I was not a young white guy who'd studied com computer sciences, who dropped out of university and was living on ramen noodles. <laughs> and uh, certainly when Sasha and I first started working on Olio, I mean, for at least the first year when people would ask me kind of, you know, what do you do or what are you? I mean, I just, I just felt like such a joke saying sort of, you know, I'm an entrepreneur or I'm, I'm founding a startup. Now I am sort of five and a half years into this journey. I messaged Sasha a few months ago saying, hey, I think we've done our 10,000 hours. So I think we can really legitimately now call ourselves entrepreneurs. We've sort of earned the stripes and the badges. But I think that's a really big problem. And that's why I feel very passionate about the importance of diverse role models, because, you know, it's a bit cliched, but it is kind of hard to be what you can't see. Um, and as long as we just see sort of one type of entrepreneur, then we're just going to be excluding so many more diverse entrepreneurs. And as I say, the reason why that's a really big problem is because the biggest challenges facing humanity today um, are only going to be solved by a truly diverse set of founders because they're often the people who are experiencing those problems firsthand. Yeah, because 
maybe in terms of diversity, how did you build your team uh, to be a diverse, diverse lot? But also, what decision do you have to take now as a CEO of a 2 million members community? So there's a couple of ways that we have ensured that we've kind of built a diverse business, which for me kind of means the team, but it also means the product that we're providing to our community and our community. So the, the first is um, to be really intentional about it. So Olio has four values and the first value is inclusive. And if you go onto our website, you can kind of read what we mean by inclusive, but that really does permeate absolutely everything that we do. I think um, something really powerful that we did from day one, which made recruiting diverse talent pretty simple for us is that we were remote first business from day one. And that's because Sasha and I were both mums with young kids. We lived in different cities. Neither of us wanted to be commuting into an office somewhere. Uh, and so we built the whole organization to be remote first. And what that did was it just unlocked for us this enormous talent pool of people who, for whatever reason, you know, didn't want to be based in London and commuting on the tube for an hour each day. And we measure the diversity of our team. So, for example, we know that over 20% of our team identify as neurodiverse. And a lot of people who are neurodiverse actually sort of commuting into a noisy office in central London is, is the last thing you're going to want to do. And so through us being remote first, we were able to attract those much more uh, diverse candidates to, to the business. Yeah, because you initially start stuff in quite a classic corporate world. Yes. So maybe even um, before moving out, did you have any defining moment in your life that puts you onto the path of entrepreneur? And what like kind of mindset did you have to get into that to build Olio? I can't pinpoint a single moment, but I can pinpoint a sensation. And that was for probably about seven years before Sasha and I founded Olio. I just found myself feeling increasingly disillusioned with my job and with what I had achieved. So on paper, I had a brilliant CV and it was something that technically I should have been very proud of. But I knew that if I were to die tomorrow, I wouldn't feel proud of what I had achieved. And I was also finding myself kind of going on, going to events and listening to people speaking from the stage and people who were solving real problems in the world, people who had uh, become entrepreneurs. And I was finding myself so inspired by them. And then I'd reflect on what I had done and feel so uninspired by myself. And I was just kind of getting sick and tired of not being inspired by myself. And I just thought, you know what, I want to... I want to inspire myself. I want to do something that I feel proud of. And so I had that growing entrepreneurial itch. The challenge that I had and the reason why it took me so long to take the leap was twofold. One, um, I had that imposter sy syndrome, big style. And two, I felt like I didn't have an idea. And therefore, I sort of couldn't take that leap because I didn't have the big idea. Now, retrospectively, I've realized that it was a, it's a massive fallacy to be looking for a big idea. And I was going about it all wrong. And, and I hear many people who want to be entrepreneurs, I think, go about it wrong because they're looking for this big idea. What you actually need to be doing is to be looking for a problem that you really, really, really want to see solved. And so now if I were to be thinking, oh, I really want to do something entrepreneurial, I would probably just 
walk around the world with my eyes wide open for 24 hours with a notebook on my phone beside me. And I would just take notes of every single time I saw anything that was a problem and then dig around in that and see what I cared about, what I was passionate about and, and build up from the problem rather than, rather than sort of looking for this metaphorical light bulb idea. I think that's great because I was going to ask you what advice would you have for young entrepreneurs starting in business, but I think you just answered my question. That, that's certainly one. I, another piece of advice I would I would give anyone who's starting out is, is a couple of book recommendations. So one is The Lean Startup by Eric Ries, uh, which is just an amazing philosophy about how to take something from conception to launch and beyond and to do it in, in the quickest, uh, most efficient way. And then the second book recommendation would be a book called The Mom Test, um, which is all about how to do market research properly in the early days so that you don't get a ton of false positives and you don't have people telling you what you really want to hear. And maybe if um, you have one big future plan for Olio, what could that be in terms even of getting a bigger scale or moving even past the premium um, option? Well, our, our one big plan is to get to a billion plus people within the next 10 years. That is the North Star that myself and the team are all working towards. And we've got a long way to go, but we've made a good start. And maybe as a final um, message, something kind of like a life motto for students listening right now, what would that message be? Oh, it's a bit of a cliche, but feel the fear and do it anyway. <laughs> Great. Okay. Perfect. Thank you so much for meeting up with me. And thank you for all the inspiration. No worries, Fab. Well, um, I hope it goes well. Mm -hmm.